are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Chris, I am on staff here at Bethany First Church, and it's a privilege to get an opportunity uh, to give a message here this morning uh, to all of you. This uh, week, Pastor Rick and Annette had an opportunity to go over the weekend and go uh, celebrate an anniversary down in Houston, Texas. And so I'm thankful uh, that they are getting to spend a couple days away uh, together. And I'm thankful that I had the opportunity uh, to speak. So Rick called me uh, this week and he called me on Tuesday and he said, Hey, Chris, feel free to say no. And anytime somebody starts with something like that, we kind of mostly know you almost have to say yes, right? So he says, feel free to say no, but I was wondering if you would be interested in maybe preaching this Sunday. And of course, he's the boss, so you just kind of go, yeah, I would love to do it. And so he said, why don't you come up to my office? Let's talk a little bit about the sermon this Sunday, and let's talk about kind of the direction. So I'm headed to Rick's office. I'm excited about what might be taking place this Sunday. And I said, Rick, so what, are we, what am I preaching about? And he says, Repentance. And I said, oh, no, because I don't know if you're aware, but nobody gets too jazzed or too excited about preaching about repentance, including myself. But we've been in this sermon series called, what do I believe? What if I don't know what I believe about these certain topics? And I would encourage you that if you've missed any of the services happening over the last couple of weeks, that you would go back and listen to them. Because Rick has been moving us through a journey, asking these questions, what do I believe about this? What do I believe about that? And why is it important that we believe it? And so this morning, we're going to be talking about what if I don't know what I believe in regard to repentance? You see, repentance is kind of a weird word. It's kind of a word that we often don't understand. It's often a word that is misrepresented. It's often a word that is kind of uncomfortable. In fact, when I, uh, my wife Hannah, she sent a message to my family group text and she said, hey, everybody, just wanted you to let you know Chris is preaching on Sunday. You might want to try to make it to church. And my dad goes, oh, that's cool. I love it when he speaks. And he goes, what's his topic? And my wife responds, repentance. And he goes, ooh, nobody wants to hear about that. I sent, a, I sent a message to a group of friends. I have a group text that has been happening for a long time. And, and I sent them a message. And in that group, you've got friends of all categories, from Christian to atheist and everything in between. And these are people that I often share life with. And I love their perspective. And I love how they help me in my faith. So I sent them a message. And I said, hey, guys, when I say the word repentance, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And I got all kinds of answers from sin to forgiveness to confession to bad. But then I also got a text that got sent back and they said, honestly, turn or burn. And all, and all of a sudden we have these associations to repentance like turn or burn. Repentance is kind of a, a scary word. It makes us feel a little bit out of control. Like if we were actually to repent, all of a sudden the control is not necessarily in my life, in my hands. Repentance is all of a sudden I'm beginning to give control to God. 
And the truth is, it's a weird word for us as Christians because we don't do it well. We don't do it well. And so this week, I have just been praying, God, You have got to give me a message for repentance. And I have been praying that there might be somebody in this audience, in this congregation, in this church, in this community that might be able to hear this message of repentance and might be able to find hope in Christ. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we need You. We need You to be in this place. We need You to be present in our lives. We need You throughout this message. We need You to reveal this Scripture to our life. Lord, I believe that You have something for us today. Something that will be very important for the way in which You are calling us to live. So Lord, I pray this morning that our eyes and our hearts will be open and that we will be able to hear from You in a very powerful way. So Lord, be with us today. And everybody said, Amen. So here's something i gotta, I got to let you know about me uh, right off the bat. Um, I, this is just important. I absolutely love to scare my wife Hannah. So it seems a little weird, but I love to scare her. I love uh, to scare people. I love to be scared. It is one of my favorite things if I'm walking down a hallway and all of a sudden someone jumps out and scares me. Like, I love it. I get scared and then we start laughing. I think it is fantastic. But I don't, I enjoy scaring my wife more than anybody else. And this started happening once we got married. All of a sudden, there was just so many opportunities around every corner of our home and in life that I could take advantage of this newfound passion of scaring her. And she did not appreciate it all that much. But I'll tell you this one story. And this is just one, but it's one of my favorites. We have a dog named Remy. And I go out of the living room and I go down the hallway and I see that our dog Remy had gotten the toilet paper and drug the toilet paper roll out into the hallway. And instead of thinking like a normal human being, oh, I should really pick that up, you know, and clean that up, my thought went here. Okay, Hannah is going to see that toilet paper. She's going to pick up the toilet paper, follow it back into the bathroom where I will then be hiding in and behind the shower curtain. At which point, I will scare her to death. That's the way I think. I can't help it. That seemed logical at the time. So, all of a sudden, I go in, I get behind the shower curtain, and I wait, and I say, Hannah, can you come back here? She goes, uh, yeah. She gets up from the living room, she starts walking through. I knew she would think I was just in the, just in the bedroom. And she sees the toilet paper laying, and she goes, oh man, Remy got the toilet paper again. And just like my plan, she starts picking it up. She picks it up and she finds herself all the way back into the bathroom, at which point I jump out, raw, scare her to death. She screams. And here's the thing I love when I scare Hannah, is that I know that I'm going to see all the major emotions within two to three seconds. <laughs> she automatically, first thing, is completely petrified and terrified. Oh, she screams. Next is a, is a jolt of anger. And it normally is a punch to the arm. And then after that, it's sadness. Like, it's almost like I was so terrified I'm crying. And then after that, it's laughter. 
but followed up every time I find myself scaring Hannah, which is often. It always ends in me asking for forgiveness. It never fails. By the end of it, I'm like, hey, I'm so sorry. You're kind of mad at me. I I apologize. She's like, it's okay. I forgive you, but don't do that again. You know that's going to give me a heart attack someday. And then I can't help myself. I've asked for forgiveness. I've asked. She's given me forgiveness. She's given me grace. She is still married to me. And yet, I cannot help myself. The temptation comes when all of a sudden I know she's going to be walking through the garage and I'll have an opportunity to scare her again. And I normally take it. So that's what we're talking about today. Is this idea of forgiveness. We find God's grace and forgiveness, but we often stay right there. We don't actually make the turn to repentance. So here's the thing though, as a pastor, I feel like I have to give some frameworks to this. Because I am convinced that the church has gotten a couple things wrong in the past couple hundred years. And that thing that the church has gotten wrong is we often start with sin. We start with sin. People often look at the community, they look at the people outside the church, and we say things like, you're a sinner and you need Jesus. And if we start with that, the problem is that that's only a part of the story. It's not the entire story. And so today, I feel like I have to give us some framework, and I have to say this to you, and you have to understand this concept in regard to sin. You ready? Sin doesn't define you. It is not your story. Your story from the very beginning was created good. And in Genesis chapter 1, you were created good. And sin becomes a part of our story, but it's just a piece. And it certainly doesn't have to be the end of our story. And if we can begin to grasp that framework, we begin to see sin just a little bit differently. You know why? Because we see God as much, much bigger than the sin that is just a part of our story. So as I talk about repentance, and as I talk about forgiveness, and as I talk about sin, and as I talk about the brokenness between humanity and God, we understand that in the context of that God has a bigger story for you and me than this sin. But we have to recognize that it's a part of us, and we have to recognize what do we do with it. So when I found myself multiple times scaring my wife and asking for forgiveness, I never quite made it to repentance. I just seemed to stay right there. Because I continued to go back when the opportunity presented itself to scare her again. Repentance is what we're talking about today. I want to read a passage of Scripture that I think is going to help us articulate uh, that this morning. So it's in Luke chapter 18. If you have your phones, if you have your Bible, we'll put it on the screen if you don't have either. 
But Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, is a really incredible story that Jesus tells. And you got to know, I'm a storyteller and I love, I think Jesus is one of the best storytellers of all time. And he tells us this story that is going to speak some truth into our lives today. So here we go. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but began to beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." In this series, Pastor Rick has been giving us a really great illustration about what sin looks like in our life. Some of you might remember that Rick would kind of, he would kind of start in this direction. He'd go, my life is heading this way. I'm walking down this road. And then when I realize my sin, I need to stop and I need to go back the other way. And what he's talking about there is forgiveness of sin and love and repentance. But repentance is three things. You ready? It's I'm walking this way. I find in my life that I'm headed down this direction. I was never intended to go down this direction. But I continue to find myself here. And then all of a sudden, step one of repentance, I all of a sudden realize it. Repentance is intellectual. It is mental. It comes into your mind. You all of a sudden have this realization and this knowledge of where you are in life. And it may or may not be where you intended to go, but you all of a sudden you have this realization and you stop. And then repentance is two. It is emotional. It's emotional because you have the realization, you have the knowledge of your sin, and then all of a sudden you begin to feel it. The shame and the guilt and the pressure and the loneliness and the darkness begins to to weigh on your heart and on your mind and the, the heaviness of the sin begins to hold you down. And it becomes emotional for you. And that's often the place in which we find forgiveness. Intellectual leads to emotional. There at that place, I find myself in forgiveness. But that's the problem, church, is that we often stay right there. And the truth is, as many of us who have found that forgiveness, we actually live right there for a while. And it feels pretty good, and and we're doing okay, and and we're kind of justified in our life with Christ, and, and things are okay, but we stay right there. But third... Repentance is intentional. It's intentional. You, at that point, God gives you the grace and mercy right there. But at that point, repentance becomes intentional. And it is now your responsibility to turn and begin to go a new direction, a more intentional direction, a direction that gives you will and purpose in your life. You see, if we just stay right there at forgiveness, God will give it. 
God will give it every single time you ask for it. But you and I both know that we have both been on a journey where we live right there for a certain period of time and we don't ever make that turn and be intentional about a new will and a new purpose for our life. And what eventually ends up happening is this. We just keep walking down that road until we do it all over again. Repentance is mental, it is intellectual, it is emotional, and it is intentional. That is the journey of repentance. So let me ask you a question. By raising your hands, have you ever missed the point to something? Raise your hand. Have you ever missed the point to something? You've missed the mark. You, you, you thought you understood something, but you just straight up missed it. That's what's happened in this passage of Scripture. You've got a Pharisee and a tax collector, one who is going to absolutely miss the point, and the other who is going to get it. And i got to be totally honest with you, I have missed the point many, many times in my life. And if you've been married for any amount of time, that is probably where you miss it most often. Right? Your wife will say something to you, husbands, I just wanted you to want to do the dishes. Right? Or I wanted you to want to take out the trash. Oh, I just, I'm sorry I missed that point. I did not pick that up. You asked me if I want to do the dishes. No. Oh, I want you to want to do the dishes. We miss the point. But no greater moment in my life did I go on a journey to try to not miss the point and when I was becoming a new dad. My, my uh, daughter Ellie, she's eight months old, and it was a few months before her birth, and I just found myself in this place going, I so desperately want to get this dad thing right. And so I found myself meeting with people who were experienced dads, who were new dads, and in that I received a whole lot of advice. I received advice about what to do, what not to do. I received advice about things to get involved in, things not to get involved in. A couple things that really, really helped me in that. Uh, one of my good friends, he, he told me, he said, listen, Chris, in the labor process, when you are laboring and your daughter is about to be born, I don't care how much pain you think that you are in. Your feet might be tired. Your legs might be tired. Your back might be hurting because you've been bent over the, the hospital bed for so long. It does not matter. You do not complain. It doesn't matter how cold it is in the room, how hot it is in the room, you do not complain. And that advice served me really, really well. Because we had been laboring for about 13 hours, and I had been bent over that bed for so long, my lower back was literally killing me. I mean, I am thinking, oh my goodness, I, am, I just want to sit down. I am literally about to start crying. My back hurts so bad. You can't say that. Your wife is about to give birth to your daughter. You cannot say that. That advice served me really well. I ended up not missing that point. Another good friend of mine, I sat down, and uh, he had just had his girl. And I said, I go, so talk to me. Give me some advice. He goes, look, Chris, you'll be fine. You'll be fine, especially if you don't do what I did. I said, my goodness, what, what did you do? He goes, well, everything went great at the hospital. It all went fine. 
and uh, we're loading the car to go home and we're, we're taking our new baby girl home to our house and, and everything's going. We get home about four o'clock in the afternoon. We kind of get settled in. We unpack the car. Everything seems to be going fine. He goes, I even ran a couple errands for my wife. We go and I come back and it's about eight o'clock in the evening. And so I find myself in my house standing in front of my bed. And at that point, I started to realize how tired I was. I said, I was so sleepy. I hadn't, I hadn't slept in like two days, and I just was so worn out that I thought, I'll just lay down for a moment. And when he goes and he lays down, and he falls asleep, and my friend doesn't wake up until 9.30 a.m. the next morning, and he wakes up, and he says he actually like almost kind of forgot that he had a baby. It was like, oh, I'm so rested. That was incredible, like 13 hours of sleep. And he gets up out of his bed and he walks down the hallway and when he, when he opens his door, he kind of hears the sound of a baby crying and the realization begins to set in that he had really, really missed the point. He had really, really missed the mark. He had messed up bad. So he walks down the hallway and he opens the door from where his daughter is crying and he kind of peeks in and there his mother-in-law is rocking this crying baby and she had been awake all night long. And he had this moment, oh my goodness, I am in serious, serious trouble. So he shuts that door and he walks into the living room where his wife, who had also been up all night long, is there on the couch with bloodshot eyes and he had the nerve, because he didn't know what else to do, he said, so, how was your night? <laughs> we are people that miss it. We are people that miss the mark. And the good news about that advice is I had a similar story. It was like 4 o'clock. We got home. I got all unpacked got all settled in and it was about evening time and I remember staring at my bed thinking I am so tired and then I remembered no <laughs> you stay awake you do whatever you can to stay awake we are people that sometimes miss the mark we miss the point so here's what Jesus is trying to tell us in this passage verse 9 to some who were confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. And i got to be honest with you that as I was thinking and reading this passage and thinking about what I might say or what God might want to say through me, I started thinking to myself, if Jesus was here this morning, would He be looking at a church who has maybe gotten too confident in their own righteousness? Would he be looking at a group of people, me and you, and going, you guys have forgotten where you came from. You have forgotten what I have done in you. You have forgotten the grace and the mercy that I have given you. And you have become too comfortable and too confident in your own righteousness. And so this story is for us. Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. Can we pause for a second? 
That is the most ridiculous prayer I have ever heard. That this Pharisee would basically have the nerve to show up to the temple and pray a prayer like that. Imagine for a second if I would have gotten up here this morning and I would have said, Hey Lord, thank You for making me so great. Thank You for making me so holy. Thanks for not making me like all these other people. I give a tenth of all I have and I show up to the temple and I pray, Lord, I am so great. Thank You. I think if I would have done that this morning, we'd have had a bit of a problem. Most of you probably would have got up and left. So who is this Pharisee? Who is he? What do we need to know about this Pharisee as to why he is even acting this way? Here's a couple things we need to know. The Pharisee is a highly, highly respected religious leader. He would have been so respected as he walked around the town, everybody would have known who he is and what he is about. A highly respected religious leader. This Pharisee would have prayed at least three times a day. At 9 a.m., at 12 p.m., and at 3 p.m., you would have found this Pharisee at the temple in prayer. You would have known that this Pharisee knows the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, like the back of his hand. Every single word would be memorized. The Pharisee was kind of the keeper of Scripture at this time. The knowledge that this Pharisee would have known about God would have been great. You would know that uh, this Pharisee fasted at least once a week, but specifically in this text, this Pharisee actually fasted two to three times a week. Because in this day and age, if a Pharisee fasted two or three times a week, it was actually a way in which you could gain special merit with God. And this wasn't untypical of a Pharisee of this day. And what scares me most is when I read this passage of Scripture, I don't identify with the tax collector. I identify with the Pharisee. I identify with the Pharisee, one, because of my job as a pastor. We have a lot of very similarities. A highly respected religious leader. And in light of Rick and Lewis being gone, I think I'm moving my way up there a little bit. Take out a couple professors and some chaplains and some other pastors and I'd be moving up even higher. But I'm a religious leader. It's what I do. It's what I'm called to do. I pray during the day. It's a regular part of my day. I, I find myself praying multiple times throughout the day. I fast almost six to seven days a week after lunch and before dinner. <laughs> Regularly. No, the truth is, is I identify with this Pharisee because I can't help but think that there are times in my life, there are times in my own journey where my faith becomes more about me and my needs than it does about others. And I have often found myself in times of prayer, praying prayers that, that are not actually to God, they're actually for me. And so as many times as I read through this text and I, and I find myself going, Lord, make me like the tax collector, I have to recognize that I identify more with the Pharisee. So who's the tax collector? So you see, the tax collector, he would have been a, a leech 
in society, as one commentary said. A leech in society. He would have been a traitor to Rome. He would have been Jewish in his heritage, but he would have been a traitor because he works for Rome. Every single Jew that would have passed him would have known and would have probably said things like, you are a traitor. How could you do this to us? You are the reason why we are an oppressed people. Scripture says that he wasn't just a sinner. In fact, in one translation, you can even translate it to say that he was the most excellent sinner. I find that really interesting. He was the most excellent sinner. He wasn't just a sinner. He was the best at it. He would have been greedy. He would have been selfish. He would have been a person that has taken advantage of people most of his life. And yet, he finds himself at the temple to pray. And yet, he finds himself at the temple to pray. The beauty of this story is that we have two men. One who doesn't get it. One who should get it, who should know the Scriptures, who should be in relationship with God. If anybody in this story should get it, it should be the one who goes to church every single day. But you have one man who is not going to get it. And you have another man who is going to get it. The thing about both of these men is that not only are these two men headed to the same direction to pray, not only are they headed on the same path to go to the temple, they're headed in the same direction in life. They're headed in the same place in life. And both men are going to stop to pray. One man is going to stop here and he is going to pray. But when he is done praying, you know where he's going to go? He's going to keep going in the same direction he was headed. But one man is going to stop to pray. And when he prays, he is going to be on his knees and he's going to beat his chest and say, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. And he is going to turn and he is going to go the other direction. I love that Luke puts in this passage of Scripture, one of my favorite words that Luke puts in this passage is the word distance. Luke didn't have to put that word in there. He didn't have to tell us that the tax collector put distance between him and God. It doesn't make the story any better or worse, but Luke decides to tell us that the tax collector put distance between him and God. Have you ever felt that kind of shame and guilt that it is so difficult you don't even know how to pray to God? That the sin in your life is weighing you down so heavily that you don't even know how to navigate or where to go? There have been moments in my life where the sin in my life is so heavy that just being in the church parking lot is too close to being here in the sanctuary. Because I know, I know 
that the direction I was headed was not the way in which God intended me to go. And I knew that I had to stop. And I knew that I had to pray. And I knew that I had to find that forgiveness. But I had to do something more than that. I had to repent. I had to turn and go the other direction for a new will and a new purpose for my life. Alex and the band, you guys can head back up. So why do I love this story so much? And why do I think it's important for us today? You see, in this passage, the tax collector, it wasn't his appearance that helped him get repentance. It wasn't his money that helped him get repentance. It wasn't his family heritage that helped him find repentance. It wasn't his social status. It wasn't that he went to the temple to pray. It wasn't even his prayer. It wasn't even his prayer that gave the tax collector repentance and forgiveness. You know what it was? It was his broken heart. It was his heart that was so broken. It was his realization of his own humanity and God's divinity. It was his realization that God is who God is. And no matter what I do, I cannot change my circumstances. No matter what I do, I cannot save myself. God has to do that. And it was this moment of realization for him when he has distance between God and he finds himself on his knees and he's pounding his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me for I am a sinner and I wish Luke would give us more. I wish Luke would tell us more about this tax collector, but he doesn't need to because in verse 14, Jesus says, that this man is exalted. That he humbled himself. The humble will be exalted. And the exalted will be humbled. You see, I know the ending story for this tax collector because I have experienced in my own life what repentance and turning away and moving in the other direction actually does. And it's a feeling of exaltation. It's a feeling of freedom. It's a feeling of hope and mercy. Two men headed in the same direction. Both stopped to pray. One will pray and we'll continue on. One will pray and turn and be exalted. I want us to respond this morning. And I left the response open because uh, to be totally honest, I didn't know how the sermon would go. I didn't know what God might be putting on your heart here this morning. I didn't know who might hear this and, and who might dismiss it. But I know this, that I so desperately want to see our church 
not become a church of Pharisees. Not become a church that has forgotten who we are and what God has done for us. But be a church that recognizes all of us as tax collectors. All of us who have fallen into sin. All of us who have been redeemed and saved by grace. Because that's what the church is. We're redeemed sinners. God has taken broken pieces and He has begun to put us back together. And so this morning, I don't know where you're at. And I don't know what God is speaking to your heart. And it may be a little bit much because like I said, not very many people get jazzed about repentance. And it might be a little much for you to come down to the altar. Maybe we don't have a safe enough space. Maybe we are a little Pharisees in our ways that maybe coming down the altar might be a little much. But I would encourage you if that is what God is calling you to do, to come. That there is no better time than now to find forgiveness and turn and find repentance. But maybe that's something you need to do in your seat. Maybe you have somebody in your life that you desperately need to pray for. Maybe right now God is bringing family, uh, sons, daughters, friends, families, aunts, uncles to your mind of going, man, I need to be praying for this person because they are headed down a direction that I know where it's going to end. And so maybe this morning you find some time to pray for those people. But I want to encourage you to respond. Respond how God is moving you toward repentance. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, You are here. You are in this place. So Lord, will You speak to us this morning? Will You check us on this tough topic to talk about? And will You check our spirit? And will You give us the courage not to live at the place of forgiveness, but to take the very next step, which is to turn and go in a new direction, a new will, and a new purpose? What is it that You are calling us to do? So Lord, be with us this morning as we continue worship.
that Jesus paid it all. As you go, I want to remind you that it is not your sin that defines you. It is God who defines you. God created you and I good. Sin becomes a part of our story, but it doesn't have to be the end. So whatever it is that you have to do, whatever community and accountability you have to put in place so that when you find forgiveness, you don't just live there and continue down that road, that you're able to find a way to turn and go into a new will and a new purpose with God. I encourage you to do it because God says you will be exalted when you find Repentance. So go in His peace and His love. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.